KPBS On Demand is supported by MaraCal Design and Remodeling, helping homeowners with their home remodeling needs. From ADUs to custom kitchen remodels and room additions, MaraCal Design and Remodeling designs and builds your dream home. Learn more at trustyourhometous.com. Good morning. I'm Annika Colbert. It's Monday, March 7th. San Diegans look to Mexico for housing. More on that next, but first, let's do the headlines. The average cost for a gallon of gas in San Diego County is now $5.32. That's the 17th record high in the last 19 days. Each of the three highest increases since July of 2015 have occurred over the past three days. The average price rose almost 13 cents on Friday, 11 cents on Saturday, and 11 cents on Sunday. That's according to figures from AAA and the Oil Price Information Service. The number of people hospitalized with COVID-19 in San Diego County continues to drop. As of Sunday, 314 people were hospitalized with COVID. That's down from 346 a day earlier. As of Friday, the COVID-19 positivity test rate was also on the decline, with 4.4% of tests coming back positive. That's down from 5.2% on Tuesday. UC San Diego is holding a panel discussion on the Ukraine-Russia crisis today at 5 p.m. UCSD faculty will be discussing the political, military, and economic aspects of the crisis, as well as options for the U.S. and European policy going forward. It'll be held via Zoom, and it's free and open to the public. Go to UC San Diego's Facebook page to find the link to register. From KPBS, you're listening to San Diego news now. Stay with me for more of the local news you need. KPBS On Demand is supported by the San Diego County Toyota dealers, whose commitment to customers extends to giving back to the community and who are proud to support the City of San Diego lifeguards with their important role of keeping our beaches safe. Toyota, let's go places. Tijuana has long been a refuge for people who can't or don't want to pay the high living costs of San Diego. But now with San Diego becoming the most unaffordable place in the United States, even more people are making the move. And as KPBS border reporter Gustavo Solis explains, this is having a big impact on life in Tijuana. I'm spending the afternoon with Gustavo Chacon, a Tijuana realtor with a flair for showmanship. So this is the main room. And in this, you have a balcony. He's the type of realtor who walks you into a dark master bedroom. Then, with a flourish, opens the curtain to reveal a beautiful view of Tijuana's eastern mountains. And you have a balcony where you can actually put a table and some chairs and enjoy the afternoon. This type of a house is $950. We're in a two-bedroom house in TJ's Las Palmas neighborhood. It's got a small yard and a balcony, and it's just 15 minutes away from the border. In San Diego, that $950 a month might get you a studio. Tijuana has always been a place where Americans can live affordably while continuing to work in San Diego. But in 2022, America's finest city also became its most unaffordable, according to Ojo Labs. 
It's one of the reasons why the stream of people heading south has become a flood. Out of 10 people that call us, seven of them are from the United States. Jill Holstein is a professor at San Diego State University. She moved to Tijuana after the 2007 financial crisis. So, you know, we have that luxury, really, of living on the border and being able to sort of have it both ways. You know, pay low rent and have a lower cost of living in Tijuana and then, you know, have the powerful earning power of the United States. She lost her North Park condo in the subprime mortgage crisis, but that misfortune gave her an opportunity to make a move she'd wanted to make for a long time. When Holson moved to Tijuana in 2011, her children thought it was edgy. Her coworkers thought it was more quirky and unusual. But over the last few years, and especially during the pandemic, Holson says that friends and coworkers have been hitting her up for advice. You know, explain to me how you did this because I'm really thinking about it, but I don't understand what to do. I don't know, like, how much should I pay for rent and, you know, where should I go? Scott Asher is among the new arrivals. He's a freelancer, works as a digital artist, makes YouTube videos, and is into NFTs. He went 18 months without finding steady work during the pandemic. It was a solution that I needed. I was in the market for, right? I need a place to live, right? So it's definitely a solution for a place to live. Asher is paying $550 a month for a two-bedroom apartment in Ensenada, about an hour and a half away from the border. He couldn't find anything as nice for that price in Tijuana, let alone San Diego. And it's not just lower rent. Asher says he pays less for food, utilities, cell phone bill, dental visits, and even car insurance. I don't know what place I'd be able to afford in, in, in California. But every time someone like Asher makes the move south, there's an impact. The neighborhoods become less affordable for the people already living there. Chacon, the local realtor, says that what's been happening in San Diego for decades is now happening in Tijuana. The people who make less are having a hard time to buy properties where to rent at. Uh, and also adding the shortage of production of housing. That home with a balcony, the one going for $9.50 a month, it rented for $7.50 just a few years ago. Tijuana landlords know that they can make a lot more money by renting to Americans, and residents who live in upper-middle-class neighborhoods near the border are seeing their rents go up. But unlike Americans, people already living in Tijuana cannot simply cross the border to find more affordable housing. Instead, they're priced out and going to the outskirts of town, in neighborhoods with fewer jobs, less public services, and more crime. It is, it is something that's going to affect a lot of people, middle class and lower class and working class. And uh, it is going to affect them in the long run because the prices are going to go higher. And same thing is going to happen that, that's happening in San Diego to Tijuana. This is Gustavo Solis for KPBS News. Ballots are on their way out today for the Assembly District 80 race. KPBS Speak City Heights reporter Jacob Ayer says there are three candidates vying for the position, which was left vacant by former Assembly member Lorena Gonzalez. The 80th Assembly District encompasses the southern part of San Diego and most of Chula Vista and National City, and was previously represented by Democrat Lorena Gonzalez. Democrats David Alvarez and Georgette Gomez and Republican Lincoln Pickard are the candidates running to replace Gonzalez in the upcoming special election. Christopher Rice Wilson of Alliance San Diego says they're encouraging residents to exercise their right to vote by knocking on doors, calling phones, and reaching out to audiences digitally. Folks are not required to vote by mail. There will, there will be um, polling locations where people can vote. 
and people can also go to registrar's office and vote. And we'll be making sure the residents in the AD80 know of those uh, methods to vote. The special election primary for the 80th district will be held on April 5th with a runoff on June 7th. Jacob Ayer, KPBS News. New research co-authored by a San Diego scientist shows how climate change caused a near crisis at California's Oroville Dam. KPBS science and technology reporter Thomas Fudge has more. The Oroville Dam in Northern California creates the state's second largest reservoir. In 2017, an atmospheric river dumped a huge amount of snow, then a huge amount of rain into the reservoir's watershed. A 30-foot wall at the top of the dam nearly gave way to the volumes of water, and more than 180,000 people had to be evacuated. Alexander Gershinoff is a research meteorologist at the Scripps Institution of Oceanography. He says climate modeling projections show a warming atmosphere made the Oroville Dam crisis what it was. Rainfall from that particular atmospheric river was enhanced by about 11 to 15 percent by climate change compared to what it would have been in pre-industrial times. He says the ability of the air to hold moisture increases with temperature. Thomas Fudge, KPBS News. Coming up, more than 2 million American children and teenagers live with a wounded or ill veteran, and many help with the veteran's care. There'll be sometimes I'm sitting there and either I will hear them say, hey, can I get some help, or I'm always on the listening. We'll have that story next, just after the break. KPBS On Demand is supported by Under the Sun Foundation, presenting the Candlewood Arts Festival in Borrego Springs. Featuring temporary public art projects that engage community and place. March 23rd. More at CandlewoodArtsFestival.org. More than 2 million American children and teenagers live with a wounded or ill veteran, and many help with the veteran's care. Those young caregivers often suffer with stress, social isolation, and less parental involvement in their lives. Now, a new study is trying to understand their experiences. Carson Frame reports for the American Homefront Project. The Gary family home outside of Austin, Texas, is a revolving door of medical professionals coming to assist Tom, the patriarch, an Air Force veteran with advanced ALS. Every few hours, a respiratory therapist or hospice nurse enters a key code to get into the house, and the German shepherds, Lou and Remy, go crazy. It's life here at the Gary's. <laughs> we try to make it like an ICU, but it's really like a zoo ICU. That's Laura, Tom's wife and primary caregiver. Tom is bedbound and paralyzed with a tracheal tube. He communicates with a camera that turns his eye movements into strokes on a keyboard. Tom's son Trey was 13 years old when his dad was diagnosed with service-connected ALS. He's 19 now. I can pretty much do everything uh, that needs to be done with my dad, like trach care, um, suction, stuff like that. I run errands to get food for me, my mom, or my dad. Uh, I run and get meds. I just pretty much do everything around the house. Watching his dad's disease progress and trying to support his mom have taken a toll on Trey. His attention is always split. 
there'll be sometimes I'm sitting there and either I will hear them say, hey, can I get some help? Or I'm always on the listening. They can say, come here to the dogs and I will hear Trey come here. So I get up and run. Though the Garys have tried to shield Trey from many aspects of his father's care, he sticks closer to home than before. Laura says he became less engaged in school after the diagnosis. He took a step back and he became more attached to his dad and to to me and to our family and what was going on. I think early on he kind of thought maybe he should be the man of the house because daddy couldn't. The Elizabeth Dole Foundation recently commissioned a first-of-its-kind study on military caregiver children like Trey. It found that they often suffer from stress and anxiety, and many report social isolation. Others are hesitant to leave the house or have friends visit, and some say their relationship with their healthy parent has suffered as well. Stephen Malik is a senior researcher with Mathematica, the firm that carried out the study. We have some kids who are making sure that their service member takes their medicine. Uh, doesn't forget to turn off the gas on the stove. Um, and then we have some folks who are serving as uh, kind of de facto therapists for an, uh, an emotional support for their service member. Malik says a lot of these kids are parentified, meaning they're taking on developmentally inappropriate responsibilities normally reserved for adults. Cleo Jacobs Johnson co-authored the study. Kids are having a hard time understanding the experience of being a caregiver, understanding their service member's injury or the illness and the impact it has on them. Mathematica also found families often don't know where to turn for help. The Dole Foundation is building a coalition of government agencies, schools, nonprofit organizations, and medical institutions called Hidden Helpers. The idea is to form support groups, offer mental health care, and help kids and teens learn how to care for loved ones while still growing themselves. Despite the pain points of life in a military caregiving family, there are some upsides. Laura Gary, formerly a caregiver fellow with the foundation, says her son Trey cares profoundly for people in ways his peers don't. And so he's very good about, you know, kind of anticipating my needs as well as Tom's, which I have to say makes me such a proud mom. But then it makes me feel bad that my 19-year-old is worried about my well-being. On top of his family responsibilities, Trey is going to college, hoping to graduate with an engineering degree. He's taking his classes part-time online, which allows him to stay close to his dad. I'm Carson Freeman, San Antonio. And that's it for the podcast today. As always, you can find more San Diego news online at kpbs.org. I'm Annika Colbert. Thanks for listening and have a great day. KPBS On Demand is supported by the University of San Diego, offering professional and continuing education courses in the areas of business, education, healthcare, and engineering. For enrollment opportunities, visit pce.sandiego.edu.